You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The opinions expressed on this webmasterradio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of webmasterradio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on June the 9th. 2011, Thursday, June 9, 2011. This is uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO. You listen to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm, and we have a hell of a long, busy, complicated show for you today. Um, coming up in our first segment, we're going to be talking hacking. And, I mean, this is season. Everyone's getting hacked these days. You know what? You know what I've heard, Dave? <laughs> What's that, Jim? Hacked, you just haven't lived yet. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> well, there's nothing like that cold fear crossing your uh, crossing your heart as you realize that uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, your clients have just been, um, you know, put out to uh, put out to dry. Well, that's uh, if your name is Citigroup, Sony, or Nintendo. But you know what? A couple our our, our guests today, uh, Jonathan Hoffman and Jonas Stein. They may have a solution for webmasters who are concerned about nefarious activities happening in the background around their computers. Their solution is called CodeGuard, and we'll be talking to them for the first segment. In our second segment today, yes, it gets really complicated. We have um, Shelley Palmer, host of NBC Universal's weekly show Live Digital, also a... Uh, host of Media Bytes, daily syndicated radio segment um, on Fox 5, WNYW in New York. We are, he's going to be coming in to talk about Facebook, about Facebook's um, facial recognition technology, what it means to you uh, as a Facebook user, and, you know, what you can do about it if you have concerns about, well, you have concerns about your, you know, 
privacy on Facebook. Why ever you might have concerns about that, I don't know. But if you do, Shelley's the fellow to listen to. He's coming up at the end of our show. But we have a couple minutes to, you know, sort of screw around, talk about news, see what's going on in the world. Dave, what have you seen out there this week? Um, one that I just crossed my path uh, this morning, well, the, the news went up on uh, on WebPro News this morning, um, that, that I just found kind of stupid. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a small business guy, so I, I look at things from a, from a small business and, and look at taxes and, and government from a, from a small business perspective on things. Um, protesters have been hitting up Apple, Apple who's making our, our show periodically these days, because um, Apple's lobbying for tax cuts uh, for companies that sell outside of, um, outside of the United States. Um, of course, uh, well, not of course, a bunch of protesters went, called that, you know, well, there's actually a big banner that you can see from the, the that's from there called the iTax Cheat, actually kind of witty. Um, but it's funny, I mean, I, 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 compl- I love uh, tax cuts. <laughs> Um, obviously, and the thing is, 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 is what I see from the this sort of short-sighted nature of this, and, and, and you may disagree, um, is really, I think, what Apple's requesting to me um, is almost an entirely legitimate thing. Now, I put it in context of, of probably yourself, myself, um, and look at what we're doing. Um, while I'm, I'm physically located in Canada, a lot of our clients are in the States, um, so really what does this do? for my taxation and for, for the economy that I pay taxes into, um, is really it's, it's drawing revenue in. I have employees, I pay them, then they get taxed. Um, so I think for Apple to be requesting that, there's, that there be some kind of tax cut for them because their goods and services are selling outside of, of the United States um, is, is almost an entirely legitimate thing because what they're doing is pulling money into into the U.S. economy where it's, it's then being redistributed. I think the only point that they may have for them, and I didn't see anything about this being their, their main point, um, would be if the manufacturing, you know, maybe if you manufacture here, you can have tax cuts and, and things like that to, to generate more jobs. But I found that really, really odd. It was, it was one, of the, one of the, well, we're getting into the biggest news stories of the day, um, but we'll be doing that with our guests. But to me, when, when this crossed... Uh, my eyeballs, that became sort of a, it was one of the bigger ones because this is going to impact a lot of the other companies that we know about um, and a lot of the other companies that that we monitor and, and do business with. So what Apple does here um, is really going to set um, set the set the tone as as we head forward, um, and as a, some of the other major corporations, you know, we can all think of them: Facebook, Google, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, as they all all head forward, um, I think this is going to set the tone for them. So I'm going to be watching this one really, really carefully. And I think if if Apple does win out in this one, and, and it really is becoming more of a, a PR issue more than just the straight lobbying that I think that they were they were expecting it to be earlier, um, I think we'll start to see a, a lot more movement among some of the the bigger corporations. Um, you know, to, to make sure, and depending on just exactly how that legislation, exactly how those tax cuts get worded, I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Because if they do focus it more on, hey, you need to actually manufacture here, you need to create jobs here, but yeah, we'll give you a tax cut if you do. Um, I think that could be a, an absolutely fantastic thing. Despite the protesting, uh, long term, it could be a, a fantastic thing for, for the U.S. economy. So um, I'm, some, in a weird way, reason, hoping Apple wins. Hmm? For some reason, that reminds me of the affiliate marketing taxation debate. You know, where say you're in uh, New Jersey, you're, you're, you're a webmaster based in New Jersey, you're, you're an affiliate marketer, 
and the networks that you're marketing through are being asked to pay state taxes on all sales made through your account or any account of other webmasters, say, in New Jersey or California or Colorado or anywhere else where the affiliate marketing tax has either been imposed or, or has been, you know, uh, the, the legislature has tried to impose it. Um, it's a jurisdictional nightmare. That's one of the things about the Internet. There's, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, tax revenues over the web given that it's an international vehicle. It's not like you have a storefront location that is at, like, you know, first and main in a specific state under a specific tax regime. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's coming through Canada, looking at, at the American, the Byzantine American tax system. Um, you know, uh, I say, I'd say if Apple does get the tax break, that will have, that should have an impact on affiliate taxation measures and on the, on the lobby put forth by the Performance Marketing Association against affiliate taxation. That one's pretty, that one's pretty neat. That, that one does bear watching. You know what? We've got time for one more story. And um, I want to make a make a, an announcement that Matt, Matt Cutts made at um, SMX in uh, Seattle this week. If, as if you haven't had enough pandas in your diet this this year, <laughs> Panda two point two is about to be released, and apparently this works in with the um, rel equals author tag that uh, that that we heard about a couple days ago uh, coming out of Seattle. Did you hear about Rel Equals Author? I heard some, and uh, I, I like I like the principle of it, but I haven't played with it, obviously, um, at this stage. So the core of it, it's it's funny because it seems to just make a, a more specific um, form of of the the canonical tag. I mean, in in its in its simplest form, how we would use it um, in the in in relate as it relates to uh, to panda. So, but you may know. You may know more uh, more details on all of this, so educate us. Okay, I'm sorry. Just uh, typing to our guest, Jonathan, that Brasco will find him. <laughs> so, Jonathan, if you're listening, hang tight. Brasco will find you. Um, Rel equals author is a new tag that Google's introduced to give attribution to the original writer of a, uh, of a piece. Um, the way it works, and it's domain-specific, so... We'll use your blog as an example, Dave, the, the Beanstalk, Beanstalk SEO blog. Say you write something in the Beanstalk SEO blog, and you have your own, your own bio also on your Beanstalk SEO site. You would put the rel equals author and then a link to the site inside the, inside the rel equals author tag, a link to your bio on your page. Now, as you and I know, there are scraper bots out there that will, are going to come and steal that information off you 15 seconds after you post it. <laughs> and there's also legitimate websites that want to repost the, 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 the article, the material that you've written because it's, you know, it's, it's worthy material. Problem is, you don't get attribution for that as an author. Right. The website or the scraper who took your content, they get all the juice, they get all the glory, they get all the attribution. And more importantly... When a search is done either for that piece or for you, the author, they may come up and they may, may outrank you, even though you're the one who did all the work on it in the first place. And you might hear the frustration in my voice because I hate scrapers. Man, they, they – when I was writing like two or three major articles a week, those people were ripping me off and I was so pissed. Anyway, um, 
the Relic Wallach tag, way cool. I'm glad to see it's there. And Panda 2, which is what I really want to talk about, um, is going to be putting a lot more emphasis on fresh, creative content. So all you content writers out there in uh, Radio Land, champagne's on me, friends, because we're gonna we're gonna you know, it's, it's gonna be a good time to be a content writer. <laughs> and that you are. Uh, that I am. Oh my goodness, <laughs> am I ever, dude? I'm I'm actually I've, I've been doing a lot of content writing the last couple of weeks. One of the reasons I've been keeping my head down and keeping myself off of Facebook and off of Twitter is I've been like really busy. And I gotta tell you, I'm loving Panda. I'm really, really loving Panda, as are my clients. You know, it leads me to to a few questions, but I know we are we are super super tight for uh, tight for time. Yeah. So I think you and I next week maybe having a, a bit of a special show because we're both going to be at SES Toronto um, through next week. So um, we may do a bit of a special show, and I uh, am going to make sure. Um, I'm going to ask these questions to you, so I'm going to do a little interview with uh, with Jim on content um, and Panda 2.2 and, and how these things tie together. I'm going to be speaking on a panel on Panda, so, or on Panda, so um, I think it's, it's very, <laughs> very timely. Panel, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think this is going to be... black and be... white on that panel. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll turn it into a black versus white hat. Um, yeah, well, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Black Hat versus and, White Hat. Last session. I'm, I'm co-hosting it with Mike Rehan. And always so, a fantastic session. Will be fun. Um, but we should probably Anyhow. go right. We have, we've got a packed, packed show here, unless, uh, unless there's something you need to, to cover here first, or, or maybe take nah, us out. The only, the only thing I need to say right now is, friends, you're listening to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beefstock SEO. Stay tuned. We've got a fun show. We're coming back with uh, Jonas Stein and Jonathan Hawkman from CodeGuard. And later on, we're going to be talking with uh, Shelly Percy from, um, let me just recall this gentleman's information. I'm sorry, Shelly Palmer from uh, Fox 5, WNYW in New York. Stay tuned. Webcology's back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. TopSEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. 
commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO. And we're joined by two really well-known fellows in the search marketing community, Jonathan Hoffman. In on the East Coast, and uh, Jonah Stein on the West Coast. Uh, Jonah, actually, you're still in Seattle at, at the SMX conference, eh? Yeah, well, uh, I'm sticking around for the extra day for uh, Facebook with uh, Marty Weintraub, so. Oh, man, that would be, Marty goes a mile a minute and lights up any room he speaks in, so that would be amazing. Um, and uh, Jonathan, you're, uh, you're out there, I think, in New York City or in uh, Connecticut? Yeah, I'm in the uh, New York City area in Connecticut. Okay. Well, uh, Jonathan and uh, and uh, Johan, you've. Um, I was going to read bios for both of you, but as it turns out, we have a slightly tighter packed show than, than expected. So I just want to jump right in. You guys are the authors, the creators of the software called CodeGuard. CodeGuard protects against hacking and protects your code by. And you're going to explain in a few moments how it does it. But before we jump in, Sony, Citibank, Nintendo. Who hasn't been hacked this week? And uh, well, why you left out Apple. Hacking activity. <laughs> I left out Apple while I was afraid of getting sued. Um, <laughs> why is there such an uptick in, in hacking activity right now? Well, I, I don't think it's actually. I mean, the the stories that hit the news, the mainstream, the Fortune one hundreds that get hacked. Um, you know, the, those come in spurts. But if you actually look at the majority of hacking activity never hits the news and it's the hundreds of thousands of small websites and SMBs and blogs that get taken over every month to uh, you know insert some poisonous links or to send you to a pharmacite or drop some malware on your site and you know those then are the vectors that the the hackers use just so when something is trending in news they can then throw their malware up on a story that they can drop into into a news site onto a domain that they've already taken over and, you know, hit 100,000 people who are clicking through to find out the latest on some other story. Incredible. And so that, um, and so that often, that's the payoff. Um, well, what about groups like um, Anonymous or um, L-U-L-Z, L-U-L-Z, uh, Luz? Uh, they're not in it for a commercial gain, are they? Uh, uh, commercial gain, probably not. Uh, some ego, some political retribution, I guess. Um but, you know, again, the thing I want to emphasize is that the people who go after high-profile targets are playing a game with full-time IT people. And, and you know, it's it's tragedy and they do a lot of damage. But the real victims, if you ask me, are the, the businesses who don't have a clue uh, how they're, you know, what they're supposed to do here. And, um, you know, the, the bottom line is that if Sony can't protect themselves against being hacked and Citibank and Lockheed Martin are, can't protect themselves, the, the average small business owner, if somebody wants to hack them, they're going to, I mean, there's, there's no way to really stop it. Um, and so it, what Jonathan and I realized about a year, a little more than a year ago, is that the one thing you could do is you could help the businesses know they've been hacked and make sure that it's relatively painless to get their site back online and you know getting traffic again well according to the history of code guard you and uh, 
Jonas Stein and Jonathan Hockman met at Google's headquarters in Mountain View in 2008, I'm guessing at a Google party. Um, a few months later, uh, Jonah was organizing a panel at the O'Reilly Media Web 2.0 Summit. And uh, you were talking about you know the dangers of uh, hacking, malware, advertising scams, etc. You had Jonathan on the panel. Um, and you guys, you know, after the panel finished, you guys, you know, started talking about integrity monitoring. And that was the genesis of your, uh, your new software, CodeGuard. Um, Jonathan, could you tell us a little bit about CodeGuard, what it does, and why it does it? Sure. Um, I spent about five years studying Wikipedia because I find it totally fascinating that there's this website that anybody can edit. And actually, if you think about it, you know, the website anybody can edit also describes pretty well your typical small to medium-sized business website because from the perspective of a hacker, they can edit any small website they want to. It's not very hard to go and hack 10,000 sites if they want to or 100,000, you know, you know, a million and a half sites a quarter or, or a month are being hacked. You know, it's, it's terrible. What we understood from Wikipedia is that to really guard a resource, you, you can't say we're going to totally prevent people from getting in because that just doesn't work. Instead, you have to say, what do you do if someone makes a bad edit to the website? How do you control that? So some of the features that Wikipedia has, like revision history, uh, where you have transparency and you can see what changes have been made, um, and a watch list where you can monitor and see what pages are being changed. These features are included in CodeGuard so that now the typical webmaster has the same sort of defense for their site that Wikipedia has. Even if someone comes in and, and hacks it, they're going to be notified immediately and they're going to have an option to put back a good version of their site. So it's, it's the equivalent of uh, you know, the problem of graffiti. You know, one of the great strategies for dealing with graffiti is that you just paint over it right away because people who spray graffiti are going to be deterred from doing that if their stuff doesn't last, if it can't persist. So that's really the strategy of CodeGuard, to say that you may get hacked, but you're going to be able to get rid of it. Okay, so you have a rollback feature. How does, how does that work exactly? Like, um, I, get, I, I put up fresh content at 9.05 in the morning, because I'm a very fast writer, and uh, 15 minutes later, I've been hacked. How do I roll back to my, uh, my, my, the content that I, that, that, that I slaved so hard over for five minutes? So the answer to that is if you um, – with CodeGuard, there's really two modes to operate in. in. In the staging mode, you can upload your changes to CodeGuard, and CodeGuard then pushes them to your, your site. And when you work in that mode, every single change gets recorded. You can also operate in an in automatic backup mode where you just push your changes directly to the site, and then CodeGuard comes along every hour or every 24 hours and backs up whatever changes uh, have been made. So in your example, if you've made a change and get hacked 15 minutes later, unless CodeGuard backed it up since that change was made, it's not going to be in the backup yet. But typically, no, but I'm you not going to lose much. You're not going to lose much. You'd only lose very little, and you probably still have that material on your local computer, right? Well, one would hope. <laughs> but this is the thing we're talking about, so it's probably not. <laughs> well... <laughs> Here. Luck of the Northern Irish, bro. Luck of the Northern Irish. Yeah. I, I, I mean, in the use case where it's content that you just created, um, it's it's not impossible that CodeGuard's going to help you, but, it, you know, we're, we're 
less likely to be able to snap it, step in unless you are using it in the, the push mode, which is the uh, the more professional mode. But, uh, you know, much more common than that, um, you know, is that the hack occurs and you don't even know your site's been hacked for a couple of days because you don't immediately find out until somebody starts telling you that, uh, you know, you're redirecting them to, uh, to, to that, uh, you know, um, Canadian pharmacy site for Viagra or... Uh, you know, wondering why you're suddenly linking to all those online casinos in some of your posts, um, <laughs> or, or you know, you have to do a vanity search and you see that Google's decided your safe your site is uh, contains content that might uh, corrupt the browser and they intercept you on your way there. So, you know, we're we're really designed that that you'll have the ability to to undo that damage, or you know, alternatively, there are some. Some people out there who have developers who've been known to f you right into a site to make a quick change because they're uh, you know kind of confident that they know what they're doing, and after they've broken your site and brought it to his knees and can't find that CSS and you know screwed up the HC access, you can't even get back into the site. Uh, you can also rescue yourself just by logging in and hitting the undo button on CodeGuard. Yeah, so, that's an excellent point. That you know, innocuous mistakes are probably ten times more common than hacking. Even though hacking is still very common, the the just in you know, you made a mistake in in editing your website and broke it, and you want to get it back quickly. That's a, a big uh, big use case. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the company itself and the and the software itself, CodeGuard. Um, according to the according to the CodeGuard website, the genesis of the plan was 2008. I imagine uh, it was 2009 when you guys actually sat down and started really thinking about it. How has your experience been bringing um, a new product to this market? Um, well, let, let's just say that, like any development process, you you never would have imagined each step was going to take as long as it was. Um, <laughs> Also, like any development process, things that seem relatively simple, uh, as you start to unravel the, the decision tree, you find an incredible amount of nuance and complexity. Um, you know, at its heart, the idea behind CodeGuard was to take a industry standard version control system and turn it into uh, software as a service. And you can say that in one sentence, um, but it turns out to be um, quite an interesting process to get it all the way to the point that. Uh, that we can turn it out to our friends and say, you know, go try this. Uh, Jonathan, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, the uh, the developer who put together our prototype, the first thing I did with it after he said it was done and it was ready is I, I tried it out on his wife's website. And we managed to, to delete and lose a bunch of files. And he had this terrible, terrible look on his face. And uh, it was just one of those moments, you know. And um, so we put the site back together, but th there's just been a lot of testing, just a lot, a lot, a lot of testing and time to uh, make sure everything works correctly. Because to, to have something and turn it into a product which other people can use just takes immensely more work than building a, a utility that you're going to use yourself. Well, undoubtedly. But apparently, that, apparently the time and the effort you guys have put in has been worth it. I'm looking at the uh, press pages on your, on your CodeGuard.com website right now. On um, the 24th of May, TechCrunch wrote that um, CodeGuard was the winner of the Audience Award at the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference in New York. 
They called CodeGuard a simple time machine for your website. A couple days later, on the uh, 2nd of June, Tech Journal, Tech Journal South, covered you, Atlanta-based CodeGuard, keys an angel round for web, website protection. You raised 500000 um, It was announced, I'm sorry, on June 3rd that you got another 500000 um, from Imlay Investments. So clearly you guys are getting some attention. And, uh, you know, I guess now you have the now you have the VCs in. How has that changed your life at all? Uh, or has that changed your life? Now you're not just working for yourselves, you're working for investors. Well, um, it... You know, it's it's interesting because we don't get to have things our own way anymore, and uh, so we have to convince other people that what we're doing is right. But um, really, it's it's been great because we have a, a uh, an excellent CEO now who is driving things forward. He's been talking with hosting providers, and uh, they really love the product because one of the the banes of their existence is uh, support costs. You know, when the customer's website gets hacked or or they screwed up. The uh, customer calls a hosting provider, and that's a big expense to provide that support. So they really love the product, and the customers want the product. So it's really just taking off now. The uh, the publicity from from uh, TechCrunch Disrupt was so helpful in uh, in launching this. And uh, you know we we have a beta system which is going to be good for up to five thousand users. We probably are going to fill that up relatively soon. So I, I would definitely encourage anyone who would like an account to go in and get one now. It's free, and you can try it out. Because well, you know, once you we get to well, they, they just go to the site and sign up. And um, you know if if uh, you you go there if you you need to have some sort of um, uh, referral code. You know, do do you want a referral code, Jim, to give out to your listeners? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. We add value every day. That's 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 our job. <laughs> All right. So so let me see if I can just generate a code for you on the fly. Every user actually has a, a um, uh, they're able to give a code to to their friends. So what what code do you want, Jim? What what, what should your code be? Webcology. Web. Wh- how do you spell it? Uh, W-E-B-C-O-L-O-G-Y. Yeah. Webcology. Okay. And this code is, is good. Um, so it's all lowercase, webcology. There you got it, friends. Go to codeguard.com. Use webcology as your, uh, your uh, key. And what will happen for them if they do? Uh, they'll be able to back up a site up to up to a quarter gigabyte, which is you know large enough for most you know reasonable sized WordPress installations, and um, you know that will will take a backup for them, and uh, it will keep checking their site. It will notify them if anything on the site has changed, and tells them what's changed, so that they can you know look down the list of files and say, yeah, I edited that file. That's good. That's good. Oh wait, I didn't touch that. What happened here? And um, and if they need to, they can download a, a zip file containing their uh, source code and, and reinstall it. With the um, with the upgraded versions, you know, the paid versions, there are some additional features available. Um, you know, probably the user can can do very well with just the free version because that protects them from the major catastrophe. And if we hope they find value in it, and we hope that some of them will uh, will upgrade to the paid versions. Okay, well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Jump in. Oh, I was just going to say, if there happen to be some, uh, you know, some developers or consultants or designers out there that have a portfolio of clients, um, 
you know, once they've joined the system, we'd be happy to, to give some upgrades so they can try out some of the pro features because, uh, you know, we're still getting feedback on those as well. And at this point, we really want to get uh, people using the system. And uh, the other thing I would say is before you uh, come to CodeGuard, uh, we are going to ask you for your FTP credentials. So make sure you have this on hand. Otherwise, we can't get in and back up your site. Okay, now... I have, and I'm not talking about your free version here or talking about a free promo code or anything, um, but I have an unreasonably large client, 107,000 107, plus URLs in their website. One of those just absurd, enormous e coms How can CodeGuard help someone like that? Well, a lot of that e-commerce data is probably stored in a database. The actual code may not be all that large, so CodeGuard is protecting the code. We can also uh, protect a database. We have a development project underway to have a, a, you know, very robust protection for databases. Right now, the way we would protect the database is we would have the um, content management system write the database out to a file, and then we back up that file. It, it's also possible that your, your large website has some sort of database backup routine on there. Um, but what we found is that when websites get hacked, there's always some sort of attack on the code. It's, it's extremely rare to find a hack where only the database is touched. It's almost always necessary to modify the code somehow in order to break into the database. So I suspect that that site could be protected uh, very well, certainly much better than leaving it you know, exposed without any protection at all. Okay. Um, interestingly, Frank Watson otherwise known as Aussie Webmaster to the, to the multitude of people um, out there listening. was uh, He's working with you guys, obviously, because he was on uh, the Webmaster Radio chat room saying that he's off to Internet Week to pimp CodeGuard on your behalf. Um, how, many, how many other webmasters out there, um, especially you know some of, some of us in the old guard, have heard about what you guys are doing and have just sort of come to the forefront and said, yeah, that's good. I, I, I want to get out there and start talking about it. Are you getting a lot of support uh, from our community? Uh, yes, yeah, so though, obviously, we, uh, we'd, we'd love to have more. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting when we, you know, Jonathan and I both serve mostly role as evangelists within the company at this point. We have a you know, full-time CTO and CEO. And, uh, you know, what's really gratifying is that when you talk to anybody who's actually in the web community, it only takes about five minutes before the light goes off and it makes sense. And they're like, oh, yes, that would have protected me or saved me or, or helped one of my clients or, you know, or I got hacked three times in the last month and um, I'm hitting myself because I haven't installed this yet. So, uh, you know, we're, we're getting support. Obviously, we, you know, we really um, we, we are grateful for anybody who wants to talk to, about us and, uh uh, for Frank, um, you know, I, I, I guess uh, he's going to have free drinks for a long time, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that'll save him a lot of money. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump in here really, really quickly with a question because I know your guys' time is really valuable, and I want to make sure before uh, before we're done with that that I get this question in. Obviously, um, a service like this that that can monitor, that can tell us. Um, you know, is there a problem? What is the problem? Isolate it for us, even back it up so that we can restore is, is fantastic. When that happens to one of your clients, obviously, um, we now know there is a problem. You are vulnerable. What do you do now um, to make sure that doesn't happen again other than, than continue monitoring? But 
what what do you generally end up finding as as the biggest holes that people actually need to patch to stop this from happening? So what what um you know I've shared notes with with people at other big tech companies and the uh, the number one source of hacking is unpatched content management systems like WordPress. Whenever you see the thing that says a new version is available, stop what you're doing and upgrade. Uh, another another major source of hacking is just bad hosting. You know, people who are on a bad hosting provider often, if someone's being hacked repeatedly, I, I, and it's not the uh, obsolete content management system, I, I would tell them, you know, try a different hosting provider. Go to someone who has a good reputation for security. Uh, and, and I would, Jonathan, don't don't forget that actually a lot of this is also that your passwords have been stolen by some bot you don't know that's run on your machine. So. Go yeah, that's a, th- that's a third thing, which is you've got to check your own workstation that the, the bad guys aren't stealing the passwords right from your machine. And how common is that a problem? It's pretty common, although it's not as common as the unpatched WordPress. Unpatched WordPress is probably the number one reason sites get hacked. Okay. I'm afraid we have to leave it at that. There's a, a dozen more questions I'd like to ask you guys, but we have a second segment coming up with a rather timely, uh, a timely piece on uh, personal privacy at Facebook. So, um, Jonas Stein, Jonathan Hoffman, gentlemen, um, thank you so much for spending time with us on Webcology. The product is called CodeGuard, and webmasters, go look at it. It's uh, C-O-D-E-G-U-A-R-D dot com, CodeGuard dot com. When you get there, if you're listening to the show right now, use Webcology as your key. You'll get uh, a limited free version. Um, start playing with this product. Save yourself a whole bunch of time and you know, maybe save your website from either hackers or from yourself. Uh, Jonathan uh, and uh, Jonah, gentlemen, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, friends, we have to take a break here on Webcology. We're going to be coming back in uh, just about two and a half minutes with uh, Shelley Palmer, host of NBC Universal's weekly show, Live Digital, and uh, also Fox 5, WNYW-TV's text expert. We're going to be talking Facebook uh, privacy and photo recognition, but before we do that, I'm afraid we've got to pay some bills. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davis from Beanstalk SEO. This is Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. Stay tuned. Back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Two, one, booster ignition. Ascend into new heights of ranking and revenue with a search engine-friendly online shopping cart that's ready for liftoff. Introducing Ascender Cart. Ascender Cart optimizes your shopping cart with easy-to-use SEO tools that will help build keywords, titles, and tags for top search engine rankings. Get all of the advantages of having a shopping cart on your site and monitor your progress with regular reports in just a click. Prepare to launch your shopping cart to the top of the search engines with Ascender Cart. Learn more about what Ascender Cart can do for you at AscenderCart.com. A-S-C-E-N-D-E-R-C-A-R-T dot com. As you know, being an expert at f- <gasps> What did she say? Requires lots of practice and a great tool. Think you could use some help with f***? Whoa. You're not alone. Hundreds have used our tool to take their f- 
performance to the next level. The language! Of course, we're talking about managing Facebook ads on Aquizio. Oh. Buy, track, manage, optimize, and report on media across all major ad networks. Visit Aquizio.com to get a demo today. Aquizio. Search, social, display, one platform. On the road. On the boat. Working out. Or up in the air. Now you can listen to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for WebmasterRadio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone. As well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to WebmasterRadio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. WebmasterRadio.fm. We really are everywhere. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. strings. Marketing to women expert Maria Retan will untie the purse strings and give you the inside track on today's woman. How to capture her attention, grow her loyalty, and create such enthusiasm about your company or product that she spreads the word with her friends and family. Purse Strings with Maria Retan. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk SEO. And we're joined by Shelley Palmer, host of NBC Universal's weekly show Live Digital and also Fox 5, WNYWTV's tech expert. Uh, Shelly Palmer, welcome to Webcology. Hey, how are you? We're excellent today. Um, keeping a keeping a low profile, worried about having my uh, my 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 face recognized and tagged everywhere I go. Um, yeah, I bet. You've been you've been taking a uh, stand around uh, facial recognition at Facebook. Just if you could explain to our listeners uh, really quickly what's going on. Well, in the shortest possible way, um, or the, I should say the easiest way to describe it is there's enough technology out there where this is, it's becoming something that you should do if you can. You know, there's a lot of technologies that have been around for a while where um, they're parlor tricks, they stay parlor tricks for a long time, and then ultimately they become easy enough to become paradigm shifts. And facial recognition is very close. To, to making the leap from a, para, uh, from a parlor trick to a paradigm shift. And because of that, an awful lot of companies, Facebook included, are thinking, hey, this would be a really nice feature and possibly an excellent benefit depending on whether, what side of the river you're standing on. And so, yeah, you know, it's coming, and it's coming soon. And there are some people who think it's a really good idea, and there's some people who think not so much. Well, with facial recognition, what can Facebook do to, um, you know, do harm its, uh, its, its, its members? What, what potential harm is there for a Facebook member with, with uh, Facebook? From, from my perspective, technology? very little, but there are those. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I don't have a stand on it one way or the other. I mean, I believe personally there's 
absolutely no reasonable expectation of privacy in the 21st century, and anyone who thinks that there is is probably um, sadly mistaken. Uh, certainly here in New York, Representative Anthony Weiner has a completely new understanding of the power of social media and the lack of privacy therein. However, um, however, yes. uh, there are some people who will say, and this is me, don't shoot the messenger, because I'm not, now it's just hypothetically talking, that you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that could be bad for you. Now, what does that mean? Right now, if I'm at a party, and my friend is tagged, and I'm in the photo, or a friend shoots a picture of me without asking, because I'm at a party, ask Michael Phelps how good that feels when you're taking a bong hit, and you're at somebody else's party, and someone decides you're an Olympic athlete, and they need to shoot a picture of it, and then tag you on Facebook. Now, that probably would have been recognized because it's Michael Phelps, even if he wasn't tagged in the photo in any way. But truthfully, if you have an auto-tagging feature, and, you know, Facebook etiquette nowadays kind of says before you tag someone, you send them a little Facebook message and say, hey, I have this cool shot of you, you know, can I tag you in it? Because that's what, like, nice people do unless you're super close friends. That's what you do with acquaintances since Facebook friends lists have exceeded the natural number of people that it should. I mean, there are some people with 500 and 700 Facebook friends. I've got, I've got myself, I have close to 5,000. Trust me, I don't know them all. I mean, I know them all personally by, for handshake purposes, but I don't know them all to tag them without asking. Probably know three, 400 people to tag them without asking, as does everybody else. And so this enabled would, I think, you know, set you up for... Um, the classic, you're supposed to be at choir practice and you're at the bowling alley. And as many divorce lawyers would like to tell you, don't worry about it, they'll find it. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I have a number of friends who are lawyers, and Facebook is a prime research, uh, a prime research resource for them. Now, as I understand it, the facial recognition technology Facebook is going to be introducing will prompt a user to tag their friend. We've recognized your buddy Joe Blow in this photo, and we suggest you tag him. So there'll still be a human action necessary to make that, ta to make that tag. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely. I don't have any personal issue with it at all. I'm just saying that from the, the standpoint of the privacy advocates, they're up in arms and should be in their own minds because this is an automated process that can quickly be used for good and quickly be used for not so good. Honestly, that's, uh, uh, a you know. A couple of years ago, when uh, when Mark, when it was uh, suggested that Facebook didn't have this technology, didn't Mark Zuckerberg try to assure his users they would never introduce us? Yeah, well, you know, my mom and your mom both told us never say never, so we're just going to give them a free pass <laughs> on that one. Steve Jobs yeah, says I'm never going to have flash on my Apple she iPhone or iPod Touch um, or my iPad. I think that really does mean never, but I'm not sure that Mark Zuckerberg has that level of uh, of uh, foresight. Um, look, you know what? The issue with facial recognition, whether Facebook enacts it or not, whether you decide to buy a camera that will do it for you or not, I mean, how cool is that? You take a picture of your family members and it gets auto-tagged. You take a picture of your friends on your weekend outing or your beach outing and everybody gets automatically tagged and gets uploaded to Facebook. I mean, that's just a huge convenience. And for every benefit to society the technology gives us, there's somebody who's going to figure out a way to do something untoward with it. I always personally believe that the progress is worth the risk and that we as a society have to evolve 
to understand and learn how to, you know, strategically deal with the technology that that is constantly changing and constantly growing and always uh, ahead of us. No matter what, no matter how tech savvy you think you are, there's always something coming out today you, you didn't know about yesterday. So you have to get over that. And as a society, this becomes a real issue. Not very many people, uh, people give lip service to the power of social media, to the power of Twitter. But, I mean, how does Anthony Weiner not think Wi-Fi.com is a public publishing platform, or that Twitter is not a public publishing platform? I mean, what, what was going through his mind? And the answer is, it's so well woven into the fabric of our lives. My favorite way to describe this is, did Tiger Woods, when he left that fateful voicemail message, did he really <laughs> understand he was making a digital audio recording that was going to be stored in a remote location, that he was giving up rights to the work, that it was going to be file-shared on BitTorrent like a hit song that nobody wanted to pay for? Of course not. He thought he was leaving a voicemail. If he was digitally literate, he would have understood that he was leaving a digital audio recording and all the things that go along with it. But that's not the way this stuff is ever presented to us. You don't know how much RAM or ROM is in an iPhone unless you're a super dweeb. You don't know what the screen resolution is. You know it's a retina display. But you know, and that's assuming you're paying attention to the commercials. No, all you know is that it has all these wonderful benefits. So in a benefits-oriented society that where they try to weave new, interesting technology into our lives, it's not a wonder that people get surprised when it doesn't quite go um, the way it's supposed to. If you go to my website, ShellyPalmer.com, you get a pretty good understanding of, of my view of the world, which is that we need everyone to be more digitally literate all the time. If I have a new book out called Overcoming the Digital Divide, uh, it literally came out two weeks ago on Amazon, and the subtitle of the book is How to Use Social Media and Digital Tools to Reinvent Yourself in Your Career. But for people who are already tech-savvy, it just gives labels to things that need labels, and we need to be keeping conscious of. I, like I said, I don't see anything wrong with the way Facebook is going to enable facial recognition. I think it's awesome. But you can't be naive enough to think that it's not going to be exploited by people who spend their time thinking about ways to exploit stuff. And when it happens, we should not be surprised. You know, the, the funny thing is, this is a group of... Uh, super tech dweeds, uh, the, the audience that you're speaking to today on Webmaster sure. Radio, and we often screw up. We forget how, how pervasive the technology is, how, uh, how overarching uh, um, digital technology can be. Why is it that there seems to be this, I mean, 15, 20 years after the introduction of the commercial internet, there's still this major disconnect. We think it's uh, uh, another world still. Um, any ideas? You, you, you've been I, I, so do, I, I do actually have a, a lot of thoughts on the subject. Um, I'm not an anthropologist. I don't even pretend to know a lot about anthropology. But I do know that it is human nature to become quite complacent. If you look at reality television, for the first couple seconds, they know the cameras are there, but then they don't. And you actually get a, a, a fairly remarkable glimpse into the way people actually are. On my site, there's a there's a... An interesting article, and I hate to say that about my own work, that's terribly uh, egotistical, I apologize for that immediately. Um, there's an article I wrote, you may find interesting, I'll put it that way, called Metamerica, Evolving um, the Governance of a Digital Democracy. And it, it kind of has a thesis that says the metadata that describes us, our purchase decisions, our viewing habits, our credit scores, uh, all the things that we have digitally stored about us, that describe us, the metadata that describes us, or the meta-America that describes America, is more valuable and more vulnerable. I mean, Facebook, to not to put too fine a point on it, I grew up in a town that had a government, in a county that had a government, in a state that had a government, in a country that had a government. 
Facebook has over 600 million registered profiles, and they don't have a customer service number. Forget about a government. So there's a virtual world that exists out there we take for granted because we think we are the masters of it, and we are tech dweebs, you know, we are the technorati. And so we think we have the Death Star, and somehow we always personalize this. I've got this great capability, and no one but me has it. It's like, but you and I both know that technical prowess and these kinds of technical achievements are fleeting. You're, you're the best in the world at what you do in technology in that arms race for a day. And then the hacker on the other side of the table gets a leg up on you, and then you spend the day getting a leg up on him or her, and that's how this goes. We are just programmed to ignore the things that are non-emergent. And honestly, if a gunshot went off, everybody would duck under the table. But if I say to you that the world is warming up and the ice caps are going to melt in 30 years, that's going to be bad, you're like, yeah, tell me about it. That's terrifying. So there's a whole bunch of humanness to us where we just don't pay attention to things and we tend to, familiarity breeds boredom and we become, and, and not contempt, and we can become sort of interestingly complacent. I see it happen over and over again. And I, by the way, I don't think this is going to stop. i got a question for you. How long could you maintain the hypervigilance required to not write anything in a text or email that you didn't want made public immediately. Could you go through your day shooting video for upload? Could you go through your day acting as if you were a star, like really a star, with a paparazzi waiting? God forbid you picked your nose. Someone would, would put a picture of it in the National Enquirer. How many days could you personally survive at that level of vigilance? Um, five years thus far, but, I'm, but I, I try to be perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think the average human being would, would not be able to hold that together for five years, and yet all of us are now publishers. There's radical, the, you know, the only answer to that is radical transparency. Just live way out in the open. Um, this is the. Can you? This is the Can we? After all, do we? Is that something human beings do? I mean, I, what a great roundtable that would be with a bunch of actual anthropologists and and sociologists and psychiatrists that we're all going to need, and you sit back and you say, wow, I mean, I'm a publisher now as powerful as NBC, ABC, CBS, or Fox. When I put something on Facebook and someone finds it valuable, when I put something on Twitter and someone finds it valuable, they will retweet it and it will become viral, and I can, I can overthrow the government of Egypt by, by getting a powerful idea and amplifying it. If that's who I am and I'm just an average person, do I need to act like the paparazzi are waiting for me? Is that what my new adopted behavior has to be, because i got to tell you something, most people would prefer not to live that way. Indeed. All right, I'm going to jump in, just a quick question, I just want to make sure to get in, and, and it sort of deals with, we'll talk about, put it in the context of, of the Facebook issue right now, but on, on a broader scope, um, like there's there's outcry from from privacy advocates about this this specific technology i agree with you shelly i think that um really because of the way they're doing it it's just making my life a little easier i still have to, to verify it. i would have tagged them anyway they're, they're just making it easier for me to do that so is it the actual feature itself um that privacy advocates are, are having a problem about and, and, and that we get concerned about or is it this this sudden realization that we knew facial recognition was out there we knew that that facebook can collect data but gee now they're they're right out there by going now even whether you tag or not we know who that person is um whether you choose to tag them or not we know all of these connections that you know behind the scenes maybe you don't and we'll start drawing these connections and and, and putting these pieces together that maybe you don't even want us to 
But that's exactly what's going to happen. And and so if you look at visual search technology and what a SIF file looks like and the way they're using that at Georgia Tech and MIT and how you're taking two-dimensional objects and making them pattern-recognized so you can fingerprint really easily. And you can also add some other technologies to that because that technology doesn't need to live in a vacuum. You can add OCR to that. You can add all kinds of, of other uh, analysis tools where now not only do I know who you are, but I'm getting a really good idea of where you are and what you're doing and who you're doing it with because I just don't recognize you. I recognize everybody. Who in their right mind wants to sign up for that? Oh, apparently. Well, think, think about the size of the planet on, uh, in Facebook, the virtual planet. Let's say Facebook really has, they say they have six, seven hundred million active profiles. Let's say that that's registered pages. Let's say there's only 300 million people who are really on it all the time. If I literally knew where they were, who they were with, and what they were doing all of the time, is that good for anybody? I'm asking the question. I don't actually think I'd use the technology that way, but it, it would it's a flip of a switch to use it that way. That's what the privacy I mean, I'm speaking from that I'm doing opposition prep. I'm speaking for a privacy advocate. That's if I was a privacy advocate how I would argue. If I'm a technologist saying this is progress, I would argue, wait a second, this is a better life through technology. This is an action I do anyway, it's a behavior I've exhibited. Facebook's number one thing that you do is you put pictures online and look at them. And the number one thing you do with a picture is tag your friends because that's a new kind of social currency. And and this is just a tool that makes that easier. Shut up. That would be the other side of it. It's easy to argue both sides. It's very easy. The, the problem is that, that at the end of the day, the creep factor is, is really high. David Pogue, who I think has been arrested recently and thrown out of the New York Times, which does not make him a bad guy, um, has a very funny line he put in his article uh, about uh, on a privacy article he wrote. He said, I... I Yes, Big Brother is watching, and I bet he's bored to tears. Well, and Shelley, right? I'm afraid we have to leave it at that. Uh, we are we are dead out of time now. We've uh, hit the top of the hour. Uh, so, um, Shelley Palmer, thank you so much for spending time with us on uh, on Webmaster Radio today. Um, friends, we uh, we're, that's it. We're out of time. We did a whole hour again. I don't believe that we can do this every week, but somehow we managed to do it. Friends, um, you've been listening to Jim Hedger and uh, Dave Davies on Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. Just got a note from Studio mentioning it is Search Engine Watch's 14th anniversary today. So everyone over at Search Engine Watch and Incisive Media, happy 14th. Um, next week, Dave and I are going to be appearing sort of kind of live. We're going to be recording live at SES Toronto uh, Monday and Tuesday of next week. But, uh, again, we're hard up against the top of the clock. we got to go. So thank you for listening. Have a excellent week. And, uh, friends, we'll talk to you next week. Stay safe.